A Victorian cemetery is a place of forgotten stories. Faded inscriptions on ivy-covered headstones beg many questions and give few clues. But with a little detective work, those names can yield fascinating facts. Mike Gilfoyle has spent the past 10 years researching graves in Brockley and Ladywell cemeteries in South London. He's found heroes and villains, great artists and celebrated athletes, soldiers and poets, killers and victims. London Epitaphs brings you just some of these extraordinary lives. I don't know what made me look those names up. I passed a gravestone many times, a low beveled slab of pink marble with an inscription on either side. A husband and wife, Algernon Moydent Chapman, died 1922, and Laura Moydent Chapman, who passed away 14 years later in 1936. Perhaps it was Algernon's rather grand name that caught my eye. In fact, the extraordinary story I went on to discover is about Laura, not Algernon. It involves not only an unsolved murder, but counts among its players some of the 20th century's most important figures in criminal law. There's very little information about the early life of Laura Mordant Chapman, who was born Laura Davis in Wales in 1876. We don't know how she met Algernon, but that they married when she was in her mid-thirties. Algernon was at least 20 years older than Laura, a property owner with a sizeable portfolio, including houses in Brighton and Hazelmere. Algernon's reputation is not exactly spotless. There's some suggestion that he was a less than sympathetic landlord and that he even made up a senior naval title for himself. The couple had no children and lived with two servants in a house on Eltham Road in south-east London. They were together for ten years before Algernon died, leaving Laura a very wealthy widow with a substantial business and investments in her name. Laura upped and moved from the area and found herself a large house to the west in Twickenham. Here she lived the life of a recluse, rarely going out staying largely in the basement kitchen and a back room which she used as a bedroom. She wasn't entirely isolated from the outside world. A wealthy single woman attracts all kinds of attention, whether she wants it or not. One local resident who befriended her was Albert Hadfield, who ran a sweet shop in the area. He was a few years older than Laura in his late 60s, and got to know her, he later said, when she was giving away fruit from her back garden. He started to call on her regularly and even helped her find tenants for some of her properties. Albert Hadfield is central to this story. It is the summer of 1936, midday on the 9th of July. Albert Hadfield calls the police and asks them to send an officer to Laura's address, saying he thinks the place might have been unlawfully entered. But his next comment is the truly shocking one. Having entered the house earlier himself, he claims that he can see a pile of clothing on the landing, and reckons that there might be a body beneath it. What did the police make of Hadfield's comments? Well, they asked him to go back and look inside, but he declined, saying that he was frightened. When they arrived at the property, they found Hadfield waiting for them. 
He showed them where he said he had tried to get through the window the day before, worried that Laura wasn't responding to his letters. On the landing, the two officers came across a pile of blankets and bed linen, along with charred newspaper. In the later police report, Hadfield was recorded as saying, You may find a body under there, which the police later described as an extraordinary observation. When the officers pulled back the blankets, they did indeed find Laura's body. Hadfield told them that Laura was a whisky drinker and may well have accidentally set herself on fire. He was taken to Twickenham Police Station, where he gave a statement and was released. A pathologist's report later stated that Laura Mordant Chapman had been hit over the head with a blunt instrument and then stabbed 46 times while she was unconscious. The pathologist was none other than Sir Bernard Spilsbury, the preeminent forensics expert, who had made his name some 20 years earlier in the Dr. Cripping case. He looked closely at blood splatters and concluded that there had been no signs of a struggle. The police also found that no one had searched the house for valuables. The supposition was that Laura had been ferociously attacked either by someone with a mental health disorder or as a result of an argument. The person responsible had covered up the body and then tried to burn it. The police set about conducting a very thorough investigation, including searches of the property and interviews with several witnesses who had seen Hadfield calling at Laura's house several times. Among the investigating officers was one Frederick Churrell. His name is legendary in the history of policing. Churrell was head of Scotland Yard's fingerprint department and developed the single finger identification system, which became standard police practice around the world. His fingerprint analysis technique made him the leading detective of his era, solving countless cases, including the so-called blackout murders of 1942. In the case of Laura's murder, there was very little fingerprint evidence other than a bloody thumb mark on the corner of a note written to the victim. There was no match to it among police files. The police found numerous letters between Laura and Albert Hadfield which revealed that the pair may have been emotionally attached and that they frequently quarrelled. A close examination of Hadfield's clothes revealed small spatters of blood and signs of recently washed patches. What's more, they discovered that Hadfield had borrowed £500 from Laura about 12 months earlier and that she held the deeds to his house as security. There seemed ample evidence, therefore, to charge Hadfield and he was arrested on the 12th of July, just three days after Laura's body was discovered. The case against Hadfield appeared strong and press interest in both the inquest and the initial police court hearing was intense. When the case moved to the Old Bailey, the proceedings were covered in detail up and down the country. Hatfield, referred to as the confectioner, was facing a serious charge, but he had one massive point in his favour. He was defended by the brilliant Norman Burkitt, KC. This irrepressible figure was already well known to readers of criminal court proceedings, having got his client off in the infamous Brighton Trunk murders only three years before. Burkitt grilled the witnesses thoroughly, including the pathologist Sir Bernard Spilsbury, and argued that all the evidence was circumstantial. He was so thorough and persuasive on this point that on the Friday the 25th of September, the jury found Albert Hadfield not guilty. This is how one newspaper described the moment in court. Albert Hadfield, the 69-year-old confectioner, left the dock at the Old Bailey today, after being acquitted of the charge of murdering Mrs Laura Mordant Chapman. The trial ended with dramatic suddenness. 
Hatfield had been in the box and had denied that he had anything to do with Mrs Chapman's death. On his return to the dock, Mr Justice Greaves, Lord, turned to Mr Fulton, prosecuting counsel, and asked, Is it safe on this evidence to put anyone in jeopardy? Mr Fulton said, My view is that it is not safe. It would be very dangerous on such evidence as this. The judge turned to the jury and said, You have heard what counsel for prosecution says. If you are of the same opinion, there is an end of this matter. The foreman, after a rapid whispered conversation with his fellow jurors, announced that they had found Hadfield not guilty. The judge ordered Hadfield to be discharged, and he immediately left the dock, smiling happily. So what became of Albert Hadfield? I found no further information about him. He was separated from his wife and had a daughter, who was pictured attending the committal hearing. He has simply disappeared from history. But what seems extraordinary to me is how many criminal law superstars seem to have played a part in this case. Cheryl, the legendary fingerprint pioneer, Spilsbury, the eminent forensic scientist, and Burkitt, one of the leading lawyers of his day. In fact, we can still hear the voice of one of these men, Norman Burkitt. He served as a British judge at the Nuremberg trials of German war criminals. In this clip from 1946, we can hear him reading a portion of the final judgment relating to the Nazis' rise to power. Goering opposed any financial limitation of war production and added that all measures are to be considered from the standpoint of an assured waging of war. At the party rally in Nuremberg in 1936, Hitler announced the establishment of the four-year plan and the appointment of Goering as the plenipotentiary in charge. Back to the case of Laura Mordant Chapman. While our heads might be turned by the court hearing and the big names who took part in it, this is really a story about a woman who was the victim of the most appalling violence. It is easy sometimes, I think, to get carried away by stories of police detection and courtroom drama, but a human life was cut short. A vulnerable woman who lived alone was preyed on. A crime was committed and no one answered for it. Laura is remembered now as a so-called widow of Twickenham, reduced to an epithet. A character in a true-life murder story, and not even the main character at that. She was laid to rest here in Ladywell Cemetery, beside her husband, and if you didn't know any different, theirs is simply another grave featuring a married couple with an inscription, like so many others, fading away with age. London Epitaphs is made by Tempest Productions. This episode was brought to you with the kind support of Noel Kirby of the Friends of Broccoli and Ladywell Cemeteries.